Coming up on Golf Today, Davis Love III has some thoughts about the framework agreement, namely hurry up and wait. What else did he say about the prospects of a deal getting done? And the young phenom Ludwig Aubert will step off his rocket ship to stardom for a moment to chat with us about the Ryder Cup and hunting for PGA Tour win number one. And Saith Tagala will join us after checking that box in Napa earlier this fall with his family in tow. How was the party and could there be an encore in Mexico? If you've never really been, well, you sure need to go. It's golf today. Today. Yesterday in Cabo, a Tiger Woods sighting on the golf course he designed of Cardinal. Looking for golf clubs on the back of that cart. No, not yet. Patience, Grasshopper, but he was there in advance of his course hosting the Worldwide Technology Championship for the very first time. This is Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week Magazine. Even though he won't hit a shot this week, still. Moving the needle down in Mexico. And he's got a lot of reasons to be there, not just the fact that it's actually his own golf course that's hosting the tournament this week. He does make news anytime he shows up on the golf course, but he's also building a second course there, which would be the third course at that resort, where he also built this short course, the Oasis course out there. He's building a home there. So it's not a surprise that he shows up, and you know he's going to have input on the course setup out there. Tiger's not going to want these guys to go out and shoot. 30 under par because you know we've heard players talk about it, it is a generous golf yeah. course particularly off the tee it's designed for resort play for the other 51 weeks of the year tiger is too proud to see these guys go out and rip up his golf course he is proud he's also very visible some might think at this time of life he wouldn't see much of tiger woods he's designing golf courses he's out front for the pga tour he's part of the tgl league i, I mean tiger woods is more visible than a lot of people thought he would be at this time of life and more visible outside of the ropes yes. in this game as well because he also assumed that position on the board of the of the PGA Tour in the aftermath of what happened on June 6th that when the players got more involved that was very much spearheaded by Tiger mm. as well so he's definitely he's making his presence felt even if he's not making his presence felt inside the ropes mm. right now but hopefully that will come soon enough there's still one spot left in the field at the Hero Challenge down in the Bahamas. And, of course, we expect Charlie to be carrying him at the PNC this year again. <laughs> no doubt. Speaking of June 6th, there's a modicum of news on this Wednesday, the framework agreement between the PGA Tour and Live Golf, which was announced on <coughs> June 6th of this year, also set a December 31st deadline to be finalized. However, according to Davis Love III in recent comments, with just two months to go before that self-imposed deadline, the agreement isn't close to completion. How about that? This is what he had to say. The only thing I do know is nothing is going to happen really fast. I don't see any way. We made an offer, and if you don't ever communicate, we can't make another offer. It's bizarre what's going on. It's a long way from anything. The Sharks are circling. Now everyone wants to invest in the PGA Tour. Now, Eamon, Davis Love III is like Kevin Bacon. It's six degrees of separation. Davis knows everybody. He's got everybody's phone number in a lot of meetings. What did you make of his comments? I thought it was interesting when he said that he was being dragged more back into the process as part of, a, I guess, a governance review. Right. And, uh, you know, Davis has been on the, on the policy board. He's been on the PAC on multiple occasions. He, there's no one more ingrained in the administration. There's no bigger institutionalist <laughs> in the PGA Tour than Davis Love, and he's been, 
He's almost been Davis the Red in, over the period here where he suddenly turned into this sort of radical defender of the tour against Liv and, and the guys who went there. And it's been interesting to see him get more vocal. But what he's saying here is very much reflective of what we hear from sources all the time is that the progress towards this December 31st deadline that was in the framework agreement as of June 6th, not going anywhere. I talked to one person last week who does have some clarity on this situation and the phrase they used was zero progress since June 6th. Now, it, in some ways, what happened on June 6th served a purpose for both parties and that it ended litigation. Right. Whether or not a deal is consummated from that into a definitive agreement remains very much up in the air. Plus, you've got all of the private equity conversations going on around that as well. But he, I think he's certainly right in the idea that December 31st, there is zero chance of a definitive deal that has any kind of lasting impact between the Saudi Public Investment Fund and the tour by that date. Well into next year, it's possible that the deal might happen. It's also possible the deal might not happen at all. But this deadline is just pie-in-the-sky stuff. What do you make of his comments, the sharks are circling, as if there is a long line of private equity, perhaps, investment, potentially waiting for the PGA Tour, should this framework agreement not come to pass? There certainly is a long line of, of private equity. I've been told that there were more than 10 companies signaled interest. Now, we've heard that Endeavor, Ari Emanuel's company, had said over the weekend that they were told that they were not moving forward to the next point in the process. And I understand that other companies were also told that they're not moving forward, but there are a lot of others who are moving forward in this conversation. That aspect of it, the private equity side of whatever the future looks like, seems to be moving with much more clarity and more pace than the, the Saudi side of things. And which is probably easier because it's simply on the there's no politics on the private equity side of it, mm. really. There, there's no animosity based on what's happened with Liv. On, on the Saudi side of things, you're going to talk about schedules and players coming back and the legacy of recriminations that exists there. Whereas on the private equity side, it's simple. How much? What do you want for it? And what's the ownership stake versus what the players want of it? That would seem to be a somewhat easier argument to resolve than the idea of, of the Saudi argument and the Liv argument on the other side of it, there's definitely a lot of interest on that side. And for all we know, at some point, the players may just simply decide this side, the private equity side, seems to hold more promise. Let's right. move away from that side and go this way because the players are now running the matters on this thing. They're no longer sort of passengers in, in a car being driven by someone else. You know, we spoke to Keith Mitchell yesterday. We're going to speak to Bo Hosford, <coughs> hopefully, in just a little bit. must be fascinating to be a player in this moment. Keith Mitchell saying he is interested in what's going on off the golf course. You know, you could <coughs> take two different tacks, I imagine. You could put the blinders on and say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on the birdies and bogeys and the job at hand, but not knowing exactly what your future is going to look like. Keith says he wants to know. He does read. He is interested in wondering what this whole, you know, machination will ultimately lead to. They all want to know. They, they just put the blinders on whenever people like us ask them <laughs> yeah, exactly. about it. But they do want to know, and they should want to know, because there is going to be a radical reshaping of the PGA Tour in, in whatever direction it goes, whether it involves the Saudis or private equity or a combination thereof, there's clearly going to be a very different future at stake. That's going to play out not in six months or 12 months. This is a process that's going to take many years to construct what the future of the elite level of professional golf 
is going to look like. And it should be of no less importance to people on the DP World Tour as well. It's the, the process by which they get to the elite level of golf and what that level looks like is going to be very different a few years from now than what it is as we speak. One thing Joe Ogilvy wrote in that letter, and we spoke to him yesterday, a PGA Tour winner who was on the policy board uh, back during his playing days, was that, listen, this is the greatest economy on the earth, meaning the United States, uh, with a PGA Tour product with 90% of its events within three time zones, that this is a very attractive product, <clears throat> that this is a, a trophy product. Do you agree that this ultimately, whatever it looks like, whether it's PIF money or private equity money, that, that ultimately, at the end of the day, this will be an attractive product that commands <clears throat> billions and billions of dollars? It clearly is, because you see that many companies circling who okay. want to buy into this. And I, I've been told they're also kind of long-term investors. Even okay. Joe acknowledged yesterday that this isn't a short money play for any private equity company. Mm. They're, they're buying into the, the institution as kind of blue-ribboned product of the PGA Tour. But as Joe answered yesterday as well, the Tour doesn't actually need the money. The Tour can choose to take the money, but the PGA Tour as a business is self-sustaining and always has been self-sustaining. Now, there are various questions or arguments to be made as to why they will take the money. You could say, well, the product needs to improve. They need to build it out. They need to prepare for the future. Or you could say it's simply the grotesque greed of players who think that the tour exists for them to wring every dollar out of it for, mm. for their own personal enrichment, regardless of who built it before them or who's coming after them. There, there are definitely very different arguments as to why the money is going to come into the game. It just seems now very likely that the money is coming in what it looks like is where something of a debate and where it's coming from is also a debate. Can you see a scenario where <clears throat> Bubba Watson and John Rahm are standing side by side on a tee box outside of a major championship? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's always been a, the reality that even if Liv survives or players leave Liv yes. or Liv goes under, there's always going to have to be some kind of recycling process where those players who've accomplished a great deal are somehow recycled into the mainstream. I think even the tour culturally would want those players acknowledge that they're not sort of non-persons who are, are never to be mentioned again. So I could certainly see that on a player-by-player -player basis, they could, there will be a process by which those guys could eventually make their way back onto the PGA Tour. The degree to which they want to mm. is another thing we've heard players on Live say that they don't actually mm. have any interest in playing PGA Tour events in the future, which is fine. And in some cases, particularly Phil Mickelson, I think he would not be welcome, remotely welcome, mm. in a PGA Tour locker room. There's a tremendous amount of animosity towards Mickelson in particular, as there is to a slightly lesser extent towards Sergio on the European side mm. in terms of how they handle this whole process. But for most players, I, I think the relationships between individual players have remained pretty mm. civil yes. over the course of this time. So whatever that process is, it's, it's going to have to be drawn up at some stage. It just doesn't appear that it's going to be drawn up imminently. Well, the speculation is rampant. Thankfully, there is golf this week in Mexico. Time now for Let's Go Touring, presented by Viking Cruises, the PGA Tour in a beautiful part of the world, Los Cabos, Mexico, this week. And you can't get enough of just the beautiful beaches, wonderful vistas, great golf this week at Tiger Woods' is El Cardinal at Diamante.
And this week in golf, lots to watch the East Lake Cup at the Atlanta Athletic Club. Day three today, 3 p.m. Eastern time, the match play finals. Toto Japan Classic on the LPGA Worldwide Technology Championship and the Timber Tech Championship on PGA Tour Champions. And we are joined now by Joe Mazio, Tournament Director, Worldwide Technology Championship, live from Cabo. It's great to see you. Tiger was on the grounds yesterday. What was the vibe like? He's surveying his handiwork ahead of the championship. Guys, great to be with you. The vibe is incredible. The energy, the enthusiasm is off the charts. Everybody here in Los Cabos has just been so excited for the PGA Tour to come to town and having Tiger make an appearance. It's just been, it's been palpable. The energy, everybody's just so happy to have the world's best players in town. Joe, did Tiger have any last-minute input that you're aware of on the course setup or anything like that? Do you feel as though there's more scrutiny this week than in years past at this tournament simply because it is the first Tiger course to ever host a tour event? Yeah, I think, I, I don't know that scrutiny is the word that I would use. I'd perhaps say eyeballs, attention, and again, that word, enthusiasm, excitement, having Tiger's first design uh, tested by the world's best players. I think he's very keenly interested in to see how it holds up and see how it plays, as is the ownership of Diamante and our title sponsor, Worldwide Technology. So I think a lot of people are really interested to see how it is. And yeah, Tiger's got some opinions on how it should play and how he designed it. And that's, I think, normal. That's good. An architect builds a golf course with certain things in mind of the way that it uh, should present the challenge and be attacked and whatnot. So I think Tiger really wants to see the golf course played uh, and sort of handled the way that it was designed. And uh, these guys are so good that they're going to get after it. We're going to see some numbers, but I think it's also going to stand up and defend itself. How are things different from a vibe standpoint from Mayakoba to Los Cabos? I think, uh, obviously, these are both incredible destinations. The big difference that we've seen is the golf community, the passion for the sport of golf in Los Cabos is on a whole nother level. When you think of golf in Mexico, you think of Cabo. There's just so many golf courses here, great designers, great clubs, lots of members, lots of people that play day in and day out. And think of this as home or their home away from home. And that's been the difference. I was talking about enthusiasm. I was talking about energy and excitement. That's coming from the people. That's coming from the community. We've been off the charts on ticket sales. We're running four pro-ams, uh, filling those up. We just put out a shingle and we had volunteers lining up to come and participate. So that energy, that excitement is here from Cabo. Uh, and that, that's really a difference. Obviously, we had 16 great years over on the other coast in Riviera Maya, but we're thrilled to be here in Cabo. People have received us with open arms and uh, it's really off to an incredible start. From your position as tournament director, Joe, what goes into that kind of logistical change of venues from one coast in Mexico to the other, a completely different golf course, completely different type of experience? And how do you keep that transition as smooth as possible for the players who are accustomed to the way the other tournament was run? Well, that's, that's a wonderful question, and I think one that has just some very, very specific answers, which is we've told all the players, we've told the PGA Tour, we've told Worldwide Technology that this event continues its tradition, continues its pedigree, its, its history. So everything that they've come to know and love about the hospitality, the way they're treated, that is continuing. That's the Mexican people. That's the Mexican hospitality. That's the, just the beauty of Mexico. That all continues. Now, obviously, when we talk about coming to a new venue, everything is a question. Where does this go? How do we do that? Why are we going here? Where do we go for this? So that's been a really big process. Of course, you're building a new event. So we've got sort of the best of both worlds in that this is kind of like a brand new tournament, 
but it's also kind of like a tournament with a very long history, 16 years of traditions that we're continuing. And so far, the players have reacted to that with, A, the, just the, the, the excitement at seeing this place and realizing how incredible Diamante is, but then also just really comfortable seeing a lot of familiar and friendly faces from the staff, from the tour, from my team, uh, and treating them the same way and just seeing a lot of the same hallmarks that we always do, making sure they have a great time and looking at this like a little bit of like a working vacation, coming on down to Mexico, enjoying some time on the beach, playing for $8.2 million on a great golf course. Well, as you know, every week on the PGA Tour is important. What are your thoughts on your spot in the FedEx Cup fall with the players trying to improve position and the things at stake for them this week? Obviously, it's, it's very exciting. We all are aware of the changes in the schedule, and it's a little different for us being at the end. We've been at the very beginning of the calendar year, so we're now talking about wrapping things up as opposed to getting off to that good start. So I think that's very exciting. We've got a very strong field. Cam Young, of course, headlining it, top 20 player, uh, some very good young players, some great Mexican players. I think we're going to see this fall season evolve, and tournaments like the Worldwide Technology Championship are going to continue to attract really great fields because of what I was talking about, that hospitality from the Mexican people the Diamante way of doing things, the worldwide technology uh, sponsorship and how they roll out the red carpet. It's very important for us to treat these players right, make sure they've got a great week. Cabo, the beach, the fishing, the whales, the food, everything is off the charts. So what we really know these players are going to come down, have a great time, and say, I don't care whether it's the first, middle, or last event of the season. I want to be there because that's a great week for me, for my family, for my caddy, for my team to go and, like I said, play for 8.2 million bucks but really kind of enjoy a nice little working vacation in Mexico. It looks more vacation than work right now, Joe. Thanks <laughs> for spending a little time with us. And if you see any of my old balls just to the right of you on the range there, ship them back. <laughs> All right. We'll get those old range beaters for you, Eamon. Well, the top 50 in the FedEx Cup standings were set after the Tour Championship. But coming up is the guy who's 51st in that list, Bo Hustler. He's coming off a T2 at the Zozo. Right back. Golf Today, brought to you by Wind Grips, the best grips in golf. And by Zexio, experience light, experience easy. Zexio, experience the difference. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. 
back on golf today. Just three events remaining in the FedEx Cup fall. Here's what's at stake. Tournaments offer winners the same benefits as regular season events. Players 51 to 60 on the FedEx Cup points list through the fall qualify for two signature events in 24. That's at Pebble and Riviera. Top 125 on the final FedEx Cup standings will be exempt for fulfilled events in 2024. And the players and players 126 to 150 will have conditional status for 2024 PGA Tour season. Top 50, of course, on the points list after the Tour Championship are all exempt in all of the signature events. Here they are, 51 through 60. Want to hold on to those goodies, in particular, those signature events at Pebble and in L.A. to start 2024. Bo Hostler sits at 51, as you see, in the FedEx Cup fall standings. He joins us now from Cabo. Great to see you. Five top tens. Aurora up finish, Bo. Some might say you're playing the best golf of your career. What do you say? Um, I probably agree with you. Uh, certainly the most consistent probably the last three or four months. So that's been a, a nice little trend for me. And, yeah, probably uh, across the board, it seems like I'm doing most of the things pretty darn well. Oh, you started this fall series, I believe it was in 66th place. Now you're 51st. You can't go any higher than you have the way it's been set up. Do you feel as though with the progress you're making coming off that T2 at the Zozo that your first win on tour is getting closer and closer? Because you were also top 10 in Vegas in the previous start before that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I do. Um, but to be honest, I'm tired of talking about it. It's time to just get it done, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, no, it's been, like I said, it's been the most consistent three or four months, and that's all you can ask for is to just keep keep getting opportunities and hopefully capitalize, you know, sooner than later. Bo, I watched a YouTube video you were in for Titleist last week where a voice behind you says, the more you push into your left toe as opposed to firing your right hips, your sequencing gets better. What was that conversation about? Exactly what you just mentioned. Uh, I think, uh, you know, once you start feeling like the technique is in a pretty decent place, you obviously want to just feel like you can sequence it all together a little bit um, with your kind of rhythm and timing and, and ideally do that on, you know, a really consistent basis. So, uh, you know, the things that I've worked on in my swing the last three, four months feel like they've worked from a technical perspective, and now it's kind of just day-to-day -day keeping it clean with the rhythm and uh, sticking on it. In that video, you said Monday through Wednesday, you spend your time figuring out your feels and your thoughts for the tournament. So what are your feels and thoughts for this week? Um, yeah, I was just more referring to, like, kind of on-course um, playable swing thoughts, if you want to call it that. Uh, fortunately, like I was saying a minute ago, they've been pretty consistent the last few months, which I think has helped uh, versus kind of throwing – noodles at the wall every week and seeing what sticks so um yeah just some pretty simple stuff mainly just syncing up the arms and body and uh you know fortunately fairly simple at the moment hopefully i can keep it that way are those the swing changes that account for the dramatic improvement in your strokes gained off the tee this season Bo? because last year you were outside the top 130 this year you're inside the top 50 which is a, a pretty significant jump was that due to a, a specific swing change that you could tell mm -hmm. us about Um, I would say the main thing is I started just trying to fade it off the tee. Um, I don't know that it's made the good shots any better, but it certainly feels like it's made the bad shots a little bit 
more palatable, if that makes sense. Uh, when I was hitting draws off the tee, I was probably hitting it a little bit longer, but kind of the squirrely ones would get away from me a little bit on the ground. And, um, yeah, I was having too many penalty shots, so I decided to get away from that, try and hit kind of a fairway finder spinny cut most of the time. And then, uh, you know, if I need to open it up and hit it farther, I'll kind of straighten out the ball flight and try and launch it. But, um, yeah, I'd say that's probably the main difference. Well, a lot of people learned your name back in 2012 in San Francisco at the Olympic Club. You were 17 years of age in the U.S. Open. You were leading on Friday. Is that still a lot to live up to that week, the, the notoriety that you gained, that you were really front and center for more than two days? Um, not at all, no. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I mean, it's like 12 years ago now, so or 11 years ago. I'd, not real concerned with that. I think obviously it was a it was an important thing at the time and uh, kind of got my name out there, I guess, publicly in golf. But as far as like expectation or anything surrounding that, uh, I I don't put any any value on that. Uh, I think maybe some people, other people might feel that way, but I've never, uh, frankly, played for anyone's expectations but my own. So I'm going to stick to that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about it for 12 years and. I think kind of just focus on where I'm at at the moment. I sense that you're somewhat impatient and sort of going down memory lane here, Bo, which is understandable as well, and the impatience to get that first victory. What are your current expectations for yourself? How do you rationalize the expectations from yourself, the internal expectations, so that they don't become particularly overbearing? Um, I think we all struggle with that out here, right? I mean, you, you put so much time and energy into what we do, and it's our lifestyle and our livelihood, and not only that of ours, but, you know, the people around us, our teams, our families, et cetera. And, um, you know, the thing that I try and do the best of my ability is just try and control the things that I can control, control the process and my, my habits at home and on the road, um, and just know that if I stick with that and, and do a really nice job, I think the results will come. Um, Certainly easier said than done. I think we all get impatient at times, but um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm really thrilled with the direction of my game, and it's a lot easier to compete week in and week out when you know that um, you're confident for the weeks to come, right? And it doesn't make this current week and this current opportunity feel as dramatically important as when your game's in shambles and you feel like you are only going to get a couple chances a year to uh, to really contend. So that's been uh, a little bit of weight off my shoulders is the fact that I just feel a little bit more com uh, confident on a week-to-week -week basis and uh, feel like, you know, hopefully if I stay healthy and keep on the track that I am with, with my game, I think I'm going to have plenty of opportunities to have some great success. Carrying great confidence and consistency as well. Bo, thanks for the time. Best of luck in Mexico. My pleasure. Thank you, fellas. All right, folks, stay with us. Been a year to remember for 24-year-old Ludwig Ober from his first win on the DP World Tour to a spot on the winning European Ryder Cup team. He's in the field this week in Mexico and joins us next. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We're back on Golf Today. In September, Ludwig Ober won the Omega European Masters for his first win on the DP World Tour. Shot a final round 64 to beat Alexander Bjork by two strokes, and it was his first win as a professional, and it helped secure him a captain's pick for the European Ryder Cup team. And a couple of weeks later in Rome, he lived up to that pick. He was 2-0 in foursomes with Victor Hovland, including a 9-7 thumping of world number one Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka. It was the largest margin of victory in an 18-hole match in Ryder Cup history. Tell you what, Eamon, he's done a lot. Young, finished runner-up at the Sanderson Farms Championship. Nine top 25s and 12 worldwide starts as a pro in the RBC Canadian Open in June was his pro debut, finished tied for 25th and Ludwig Aubert joins us now from Kabul. Great to spend some time with you, but there's this notion that you're never nervous, you're never uncomfortable. How would you describe these first few months as a pro for you? Um, I do think, uh, you know, not being uncomfortable is, is kind of a lie. <laughs> I've been very uncomfortable for these last couple of months, but um, you know, it's been a lot of fun and it's uh, something that I've been wanting to do for such a long time. So. I've just been enjoying it. it all, it's almost like I need to, I have to pinch myself in the arm every morning that I wake up and, and actually realize that, uh, that I get to do this every day. Are you surprised by exactly what you're doing, Ludwig? I mean, your worst finish in your last six starts is tied 14th. People just don't come out of college and do that at this level of the game. Are you surprised by what you're doing or is this what you actually expected of yourself? Um, you know, I do think as a as a competitor, you're always going to have high expectations on yourself, and, and you know, likewise for me, that's what I uh, that's what I want to do. But obviously, uh, if you told me that this was going to be the case a couple of months ago, I would uh, maybe not have believed you at first. Um, but you know, I do know my qualities. I do know what I can do, and uh, all I try to do is prepare for each event the best I can. And then once tour tournament uh, starts on Thursday, I just try to have fun and. and Try to try to get the ball in the hole as quick as I can. Now, parents do a lot of different things to get their kids to to follow the track they want. I read that when you were a kid, you didn't really like golf, and your dad had to bribe you with ice cream just to keep you out on the golf course. Can you tell us some stories? Is that true? <laughs> uh, yes, it is true. So, my dad is a golfer. He uh, he plays avidly back home, but uh, never played professionally, never did anything like that. But he took me out when I was very young, but I never really liked it, to be fair. I didn't uh, I didn't enjoy it. I played a lot of football, soccer uh, growing up, and that's what I wanted to do uh, for a very long time. And, and I kind of realized that, you know, the more golf I play, the, the, the more I realized that I was actually quite good. And, and then I... Uh, you know, kept doing that, and uh, but yes, he had to bribe me to stay at the golf course because obviously our season is quite limited in Sweden, and uh, he wanted me to be out there as much as I could, and then um, and then yeah, obviously, ice cream. Uh, I think my love for ice cream started back then. I still, I still have a lot of ice cream. I had one by last night, so uh, I think maybe that's where that comes from. Well, you're probably going to have a lot more with the heat in Mexico 
this week. Ludwig, you said you're just there you're quite good, <laughs> which is something of an understatement. I talked recently to a member of the US team at the Ryder Cup, and he was kind of awestruck by you. He said you had every weapon that was necessary to be a world beater. Do you feel that kind of weight of expectation from your peers? Forget about the fans or, or media, but just the way other players now look at you because of what you've accomplished? Um, I mean, obviously, to to hear that is, is very cool. It's very cool for me because, obviously, I was in college a couple of months ago. And, um, and you know, for me to kind of come here and, and actually build relationships with these guys that I've looked up to for a very long time and, uh, you know, Rome was, was quite an experience for me to kind of hang out with those guys and build relationships and see how they play golf. And, um, you know, obviously when I hear something like that, it's very encouraging. Uh, it's, a, it's very cool for me. But, you know, all I try to do is improve every day. Uh, and it sounds so cliche, but that's all you try to do. And then, uh, and then, yeah, prepare for every event the good as you can and then have fun and play golf. Now, Wikipedia doesn't know everything, but I believe you were having ice cream yesterday because it was your birthday Happy birthday, first of all. How did you celebrate? What'd you do? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, I had a nice day on the golf course. Uh, you know, I think uh, anytime you get to spend the, your birthday on a golf course, it's nice, especially here in Cabo, Mexico. So um, we uh, walked around, played 18, and then uh, had dinner at night. So obviously it was, it was very fun. It's a nice spot to celebrate your birthday. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean... It is what it is. I'm here to play golf, but uh, it was nice to have my girlfriend over here and then uh, spend some time with uh, some other friends as well. Now, you achieved something that nobody else has actually done, Ludwig, in the sense that you played the Ryder Cup before you'd ever even played in a major championship. Top 50 by the end of the year in the world rankings <laughs> or a win gets you into the Masters. Is that on your mind at all? You're currently 58th in the world, so you seem to be getting closer and closer to that cutoff. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think top 50 in the world is, is kind of a golden threshold. Um, so, obviously, it's something that I want to do, and, and um, you know, I feel like it's it's reachable. Um, I don't have that many events left this year, but if I can somehow get into that top 50, that'd be that'd be amazing. Uh, so, obviously, it's a goal of mine, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, try to do that as, as fast as I can, yeah. You're standing in Cabo not just because you're talented. You've obviously put in a lot of hard work throughout your young life. Take us back to your high school years. You were at a place that produced Olympic swimmers, fellow professional golfers like, like Maya Stark, Lynn Grant. What did those years, those formative years of learning how to work hard, how has that translated to your professional life? For sure. I mean, I owe a lot to, to the high school that I went to. I owe a lot to the Swedish national team that, you know, they gave me the platform to, uh, to improve and to get better at golf. Um, you know, they educated me in the game, and, um, you know, that's when, you know, kind of coming back to what we talked about before, where I didn't really enjoy golf that much at first, but then I got to that point where we, uh, I got educated, I learned about it, and, and then I was hooked after that. So I owe a lot to my coach, Hans. He's still there. He still works there, and uh, I try to come back as much as I can. It's not that often anymore, but, um, you know, it's a really cool place. We get to hang out with a lot of cool athletes as well in, in class, and, I, uh, I would encourage anyone who has grown up in Sweden to, uh, to try to go there, try to have fun, and uh, you know, learn as much as you can. I'm curious what the coolest moment has been since you left college, Ludwig, because, as you mentioned, just a few months ago, you're still a student. Now you're a winner on the European Tour. You're pairing with Victor Hovland to batter the world number one in Brooks Kepka at, at a Ryder Cup. 
you're, you're on the cusp of the top 50 in the world. Has there been one particular moment in the last few months where you found yourself sitting there going, I can't believe I'm doing this or I can't believe I'm playing with this guy? <laughs> uh, we actually talked about this yesterday because um, I got the question as well. And I think the one moment was actually Friday morning in Rome when we, uh, before we teed off and we were warming up. And, I mean, this was, what, 6 a.m., I think, not even 6. And, and they opened the gates, and the people came running to the first tee. And I was standing there chipping, just warming up, and I just see all these people running, and, you know, they're going absolutely bonkers. Uh, and I remember looking at myself, and I looked at my caddy like, holy smokes. Uh, <laughs> so that was quite a cool moment. Uh, but, um, but, you know, I really enjoyed it, and it's, a, it's an unbelievable experience I'll, I'll never forget. From that Friday morning to, to the Sunday night in that bus ride that was rollicking, booze are spilling all over the place, you know, side <laughs> to side, the tires are barely able to keep their inflation. What was that night, the party like, with all of your now best mates? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. Kind of like I said before, for me to create a relationship with those guys and to hang out with them. Like, it's not that long ago I was in college and, and drinking with my friends over there, but now... On that Sunday, I was drinking with, with those guys. So, um, you know, times have changed a little bit, I guess. But uh, obviously, it was really cool. And, and hopefully, I'll be able to do that again. The difference is now he's drinking with people who can play, pay their own drink spill as opposed to the students back in college. And a birthday. And you look sharp, <laughs> by the way. My boys would say you've got a lot of drip. So you, you look great. And best Thank of luck you. this week in Mexico. Ooh. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank All you. right, folks, still to come on Golf Today, we reveal the latest PJ Tour University rankings. That's what Lumen Aubert came from. But we got a new guy to talk about. Matt's Eggy is coming up next. On a Wednesday, let's take a look at the PGA Tour University rankings, the program that awards professional status to top graduating college golfers. Top player on this list get PGA Tour status at the end of the season, while the rest of the top 10 will get Corn Ferry Tour status. We are seeing the fruits of this program already with pathways to the pro game for these college players. And you see there at number 15, Mats Egge of East Tennessee State University. He's also 39th in the world amateur. Golf rankings and his recent successes include wins at the Bank of Tennessee Intercollegiate and the Norwegian National Championship. And Mats Egge joins us now. Mats, we just talked to Ludwig Oberg from just across the border in Sweden. You were born, obviously, in Norway. There is a history of golf in Sweden. You know, we've got Annika and, and Stent and guys like that. Other than Victor, not such a, a deep history in Norway. What was your pathway into the game? My pathway. I mean, I just, I just got into it really young, I think. And uh, I, I guess I just listened to Ludwig talk and he kind of got awarded ice cream from playing. And I feel like I, I did a little bit the same way. I, I would play nine holes with my dad, get ice cream when we're done. And yeah, I guess it kind of just built on that a little bit when you start having a little more fun when you get a little older. But yeah, something like that. This has become Ice Cream Wednesday. I can't say I saw it coming. Uh, speaking of Victor Hovland, do you know him? Are you in his text chain? What's it like having someone to look up to in the pro game? Definitely. I, I met him for the first time, I want to say, when he was starting to blow up in college. And I, I remember I was just really starstruck to meet him, and he just came up to me and shook my hand. I was like, whoa. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a bit of a cool moment for me, I think. But I, I'm uh, happy to say that we're friends on Facebook. 
And yeah, so. <laughs> I didn't think anyone your age still used Facebook, <laughs> Matt. Not, they... not much. I'm just there to talk to him. Huh? <laughs> You're uh, 15th in the PGA Tour University rankings now. How much attention do you expect that you're going to pay to that ranking as the season works through? I mean, I can't say I've paid too much attention so far, but now that I see my name up there, I'm definitely paying more attention to it for sure. But yeah, I mean, I'll definitely pay attention to it. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to go out there and play some good golf and kind of see where it goes from there, definitely. Matt, I talked to your coach at uh, East Tennessee State, Jake Amos, this morning. He said that your work ethic is on another planet, that you don't take any days off, even when the coaches ask you to take a day off. Where does that come from? Oof, that's a good question. I think it's just like <laughs> I started working really hard as a, as a junior, and I felt like I've just kind of kept that going, especially now through college. I mean, we got the greatest facilities and – we got everything we want, so it just makes it so much easier. He said he's only been mad at you one time, and it had to do with something about divots that you took out of the, the oh, tee box yeah. recently. What happened there? What'd you do? Well, so we have this tee box, and it's kind of a square in the front, and then we have, like, this little tee box, which is another square in the back. And we only use the back one when we're kind of redoing the front or something. And I asked if I could do whatever I wanted to the back tee box. And he said yes. And I guess he didn't expect me to write my name, something stupid as that. And that, <laughs> well, that's kind of an inside joke going now. But it, it was, it, yeah. But at least your name doesn't have a lot of letters in it to defy <laughs> no, the no, tee no. box back there. Fabrizio Zanotti. Yeah. <laughs> You've won four times. Yeah, he was lucky that way. You've won four times this year, Matt. And you recently opened with a 62, won by five. You won the Norwegian National Championship. How has that affected your goals for the year? And what are your goals as you move through this next college season? I mean, my goal at the end of this, this season is kind of just to have somewhere to play, obviously. I want to stay in the U.S. and play, for sure. So, call free PJ, kind of whatever it is. Um, that's, I guess, my main goal, to have somewhere to play next year. But, yeah, no, I mean, my wins doesn't really affect me, I want to say. I just kind of keep working. I mean, my goals are far beyond just a few wins, I think. So I don't really let a win or two or whatever affect the kind of way I go about my business. All right, like Ludwig, you were bribed with ice cream by your pop. What were your childhood dreams? A putt to win what tournament? Chipping in to win what major? What specifically did you think about as a younger kid? I mean, I, I feel like the Masters is obviously one of them. You put the ball down at the putting greens, like, this is to win the Masters. And then you miss it, and then you go again, oh, this putt is now to win the Masters. And you kind of just keep doing it until you make it. And then you do it multiple times. And it's always just, yeah, a, a little different pressure, I want to say. And it's just like, yeah, it, it just makes it a little more fun. No question about it. Matt, you're a lot of fun. Enjoy your senior year, and hopefully we talk to you again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. We're going to keep the Scandinavian theme going here. The top-ranked amateur woman in the world just made a big decision about her future. Ingrid Lindblad will be here to fill us in right after the break. We're back on golf today. Ingrid Lindblad, who plays her college golf at LSU as a 50-year senior, 
topped the field by four shots at stage two of LPGA Q School and advanced to Q Series, but she won't be teeing it up because she plans on finishing her last year of eligibility as a Tiger. LPGA rules changed last year to stipulate that players must turn pro in order to chase an LPGA card via Q Series. Amos, nice to talk to people who can play this game. It's such a hard game, and she plays it so well. Number one in the World Amateur Golf Ranking, 2023 McCormick Medal winner, medalist in stage two of LPGA Q School. 13 career wins at LSU, two of them this season. Four-time first-team All-American, two-time SEC Player of the Year, 2021 European Ladies Amateur Champ, and tied for 11th in the 2022 U.S. Women's Open. Low Amateur Ingrid Lindblad joins us. Now, I imagine it was a difficult decision because you're playing so well. Why forego Q Series and go back to LSU? Well, like ever since I started here, everyone is like, oh, are you going to leave after this year or after my second year, after my third year? But I want to give it another chance to uh, try to win the national championship and uh, maybe another SEC championship. And, um, you know, you can't go back to college. You you can only be in college once. So I figured why make not why not make the most out of it? How tempting was it to actually go to Q Series, Ingrid, when you've been the number one in the women's world amateur golf rankings you've accomplished so much it must be tempting to think well I've, I've achieved everything I can at this level it's time to move on yeah it was pretty tempting and like even at like the U.S. Women's Open in 2022 it was like why don't you turn pro after this and I was like well I like college and um I mean, it's still tempting to play. And I got an email the other day saying like, oh, a reminder, you have to turn pro to play stage or play Q series. So I was like, yeah, there is some pressure there. Where can you improve, Ingrid, at all? I think mostly <clears throat> it is probably the mental game. Like people probably think like I'm a very strong mental player, but like there are some things to improve on. <laughs> and um I think what keeps me going is that, like, I can always get better. Like, it's never perfect out there. So there's always something that you can improve on. Now, you do have Epson tour status, <clears throat> excuse me, for next year when you do decide to leave college. Is this something of a vote of confidence in yourself that you don't need to pursue it right now, that you, you're good enough to get it when the time is right for you? Yeah, exactly. And I feel playing stage two also gave me, like, an idea of where my game is. Because I, I haven't played in a ton of professional events and especially nothing like Q, um, or stage two. So just being able to play it there and um, kind of see where I am, kind of prove that, you know, that's where I belong. See a lot of golf clubs behind you, but I understand there was a mishap with your golf clubs during stage two, somewhere between Orlando and Atlanta. Can you explain what happened? It, it wasn't my golf bag. My golf bag was totally fine. Um, the golf bag usually the problem, but when I came to Orlando, Delta had expedited my suitcase from, so I flew Baton Rouge to Atlanta to Orlando. And I did like a three hour layover on purpose in Atlanta because I knew that, you know, sometimes they don't get the clubs on the plane fast enough. So when I sit in Atlanta, they expedite my suitcase on an hour earlier flight. When I get to Atlanta, my suitcase with all my golf clothes and everything for two weeks has left the airport. But you'd rather have your clubs in your clothes. How do you strike that balance? I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the clubs are a lot harder to replace. <laughs> so it was, it was 
a good thing that they put the suitcase on the other flight and not the golf bag, but it's obviously, I don't think anyone wants to take the golf bag because it's a lot harder to like <laughs> get rid of those items, so to say. No doubt. And most people don't can hit them anywhere nearly as good as you do. <laughs> anyway, Ingrid, <laughs> thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of your senior year. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, still ahead on golf today. We'll be joined by Sajid Tagala, who's in the field at the Worldwide Technology Championship. What's it like winning your first PGA Tour event in your home state? We'll find out next. Sajid Tagala already has one win this fall, and he's aiming for another one this week in Mexico. Will the most fun family in golf have another reason to celebrate? Pride of Pepperdine is going to join us from Cabo San Lucas. And Rafael Campos give us one of the most emotional moments of the year at the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. We're going to make him relive the high that came right after the low as he gets ready for life on the PGA Tour. Golf Today rolls on right now. Golf Today. Welcome back into Golf Today. Eamon Lynch alongside Damon Hack. And Damon, it's a pretty big week gearing up in Mexico for a lot of guys with a lot on the line. It really is. You know, Hogan used to winter at Seminole in Florida. You like to winter at Los Cabos in Mexico. He hit a lot of golf balls, and that's where the PGA Tour is this week for the Worldwide Technology Championship. And you can catch live first-round coverage tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. As Eamon says, an important week for a lot of players. So who are those players, some notables, that we will see this week in Cabo. Ludwig Obert, great conversation with him. Michael Block, what a start turn he made at the PGA Championship. Keith Mitchell, friend of the program. Saif Tagala, Cameron Young, it's a really strong field. Yeah, and back in September, Tagala shot a final round 68 in the Fortinet Championship, and that secured his first PGA Tour victory in his 74th start. Began that day with a two-shot lead, and quickly separated himself back then. The first five holes, three under, cruised, to the victory. It's been quite an impressive season that's ongoing for Thagala right now. 30 events, runner-up, eight top tens, only four missed cuts, and of course that first victory that we saw just a few weeks ago at the Fortinet Championship. And Sahith Thagala joins us now from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, where he's aiming for that second PGA Tour victory. Sahith, you've, you've had a few weeks to process the victory in the Fortinet Championship in Napa. Does it feel like a weight has been lifted off you, given how much expectation has been on you even since your days at Pepperdine? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, obviously a super special week, and um, it does feel like a little bit of a weight has lifted off me. Um, it's funny because I myself didn't have that expectation of really winning. Um, it was kind of an if thing, not a when thing, but I had so many great people and my team around me just pushing me to, to get to where that was, so... Um, it definitely kind of frees things up a little bit. It's not, I, I would be lying if I said it wasn't on the back of my mind a little bit. So um, it's just nice to, I, I've always feel like I'm kind of a freewheeler on the course, but now it really feels like, um, you know, I have nothing to lose again. Let's go back to that Sunday in Napa. Those were scenes we'd really never seen before. It was electric. It was a party. Your parents were getting as much camera time as you. What was that evening like when everything was done yeah. and you were just sitting around the table with your family? Yeah, yeah. Well, one, I didn't. It was, uh, it was a lot after actually winning. Um, it was like I had to kind of hold in all my excitement and uh, 
celebratory ways for a couple hours. Um, just doing, it was great. I'd do it in a heartbeat again, but just <laughs> media stuff and all that. So I had to wait, uh, wait for them. But they were all in uh, in player dining, and when I walked in, uh, I got sprayed down a little bit with some some champagne, and yeah, it was it was a party for a while. Um, it, it was it was just awesome that it was such a great week because all my family. Most of my family that's in the states is in is in California, and and a lot of my girlfriends' friends were and family were able to watch me for the first time too. So um, it just worked out as good as it can, really. How has that day reset your goals then for not just your your broader career, but just even for this year and next year? So now that you've got that victory, that monkey's off your back. What are you thinking of in terms of your targets coming up? Yeah, um, it's funny, like expectation wise, it hasn't really changed that much. Kind of the same thing that I've been doing is is just focusing more on my golf and the process and just really trying to get a little bit better each day and each week or whatever that is and, and just keep putting in the work and seeing where that takes me and, and trying to be as little result result oriented as possible. And it's been really cool doing that because I feel like I've made so much of a jump in my game since I'd say my junior year of college to now. Um, I feel like I've made a lot of progress and whether my scores reflected or not, I feel it in my body and um, it could be a little mental self-belief or something physical, but um, just kind of sticking to that path and, and not getting too caught up in, in too much of the results um, is kind of my uh, goals and expectations and, and, and yeah, if that puts me in contention more come come weekend, then that's awesome. And that's ultimately what um, I think we all play for is just a chance to win. So um, yeah, just kind of keep sticking to that and and trying to have a good attitude about it. I was struck by your comfort level at the Masters. You finished ninth in your debut. Not a lot of people can say that. Why did that yeah. golf course in that week speak so much to you? Yeah. Um, it was it was the most nervous I've actually ever felt. I think up there, up there, it's top three for sure. But hitting that first tee shot, I was so nervous. But um, I'd just been playing so well going into the event, and I had a really nice first couple days where the weather was so bad the second day that it kind of just become a survival fest, and that kind of helped take away from the the grandeur of, of Augusta and the Masters. So. Once I got to the final round, I think I started the day in like 30th. I had such a great pairing with Tony. I mean, he's he's the biggest chiller and was such a nice guy and and kind of just the momentum I fed off of him for that final day and and probably played one of the best rounds of my life there to um, on Sunday. So um, I might have faked looking like I was <laughs> composed and calm, but I was definitely nervous and. I had the full shakes after that chip in on 16. I don't know how I even played the last two holes, but um, but yeah, it's just it's something that I can always draw on moving forward. Um, especially that I think that was my was my second major as a pro, I think, um, and only my third or fourth major ever. So um, having an early success to draw on is going to be big for me moving forward. You described yourself earlier as a bit of a freewheeler when it comes to your approach to the game, Sahithan. That kind of aggression is what makes you so exciting to watch. And we saw you get into contention playing aggressive golf in both Hartford and in Phoenix where it didn't work out for you. After those disappointments, did yeah. you in any way kind of adjust how you play or is that just simply how you're wired to play golf and it's not going to change? Yeah, 
I think it's just simply kind of how I play. And, uh, no, I've gotten a lot better. I've just been, my whole life I've played so aggressive um, because I've always, like, I, I feel like I haven't given myself the opportunities to not play aggressive and not take advantages. But as I've gotten better, I've realized that I can pick and choose my spots. And, and uh, it's funny, the biggest the biggest thing is I know I, I was in contention a few times there, and, and every time I feel like I played well, even the first time at, at Sanderson, um, still had the lead going to the back nine, but I think I shot like one under, all three rounds I shot under par, so I just have to remind myself of all the good I did during those final rounds, and, and I really drew on that in, in Napa, you know, just thinking that, hey, I've played good golf, it's just a combination of, um, you know, not hitting the shot when it mattered, and a little bit of a, you know, bad luck, I'd say, as well, um, but it's just to kind of keep that focus all the way till the end, and I made sure to do that at Napa for sure. I, um, especially at Travelers, um, you know, walking up the fairway on 18. Um, I, I don't know if it was like a lapse of focus or a lapse of concentration, but um, I had none of that in Napa. I was, I was locked in, and, and Carl's been so helpful in, in helping me do that. Scythe, I know you're a Laker fan. 13 years before you were born, Magic and the Lakers lost to Larry Bird and the Celtics. He spent the entire offseason working out, thinking about Larry Bird. 85, the Lakers beat the Celtics. Yeah. How do athletes get over loss? How do you turn the page? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's competitiveness is just such a beautiful thing. It's, it's, uh, you use, at least for me, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of other guys out here, you use every little bit of fuel that you can get and just put that into your into your work process and um, just try and, uh, I guess, just grind as much as possible. It just, every, I, I feel like I hate losing more than I love winning. Um, so just to not feel that way again, you'll kind of do whatever it takes to, to, not, to not do it again. And inevitably, sports, how it works, it's going to happen again. There's going to be a lot of failures along the way, and I think for me, I personally, I just channel all those kind of failures in my in the work that I put in, the practice, um, whether that's in the gym, mentally, on the range, whatever it might be, um, just to kind of use that so that you don't make that same mistake again or you don't let that guy beat you. Um, it's definitely it's interesting in golf because a lot of the times it's not a single person or or even a couple guys on a team that you're trying to beat, it's you're you're really battling with yourself a lot of the times. But um, there's definitely a lot of overlap, and and yeah, it's uh, I think it just goes back to hating losing more more than you love winning. Well, I imagine there'll be a lot of wins in your future, perhaps this week in Mexico. Thanks for the time. So had great visiting with you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Damon. Naaman. appreciate you guys.